From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, we count it a privilege to welcome you to another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, presenting a series of studies on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought taken from the pen of the great 19th century English preacher C.H. Spurgeon and found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Our devotional for today is entitled, A Sure Guide. The text is Isaiah 42, verse 16. I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. Think of the infinitely glorious Jehovah acting as a guide to the blind. What boundless condescension does this imply? A blind man cannot find a way which he does not know. Even when he knows the road, it is hard for him to traverse it. But a road which he has not known is quite out of the question for his unguided feet. Now we are by nature blind as to the way of salvation, and yet the Lord leads us into it and brings us to himself and then opens our eyes. As to the future, we are all of us blind and cannot see an hour before us. But the Lord Jesus will lead us even to our journey's end, Blessed be his name. We cannot guess in which way deliverance can possibly come to us, but the Lord knows, and he will lead us till we shall have escaped every danger. Happy are those who place their hand in that of the great guide and leave their way and themselves entirely with him. He will bring them all the way, and when he has brought them home to glory and has opened their eyes to see the way by which he has led them. What a song of gratitude will they sing unto their great benefactor! Lord, lead thy poor blind child this day, for I know not my way.
One of the hallmarks of Protestant Christianity is its tradition of singing. Just as the worship in the Old Testament was characterized by song, so the people of God down through the ages have been a singing people. Let the Bible Speak is pleased to offer a CD entitled Our Great Redeemer's Praise that contains nearly an hour of the great hymns of the church performed by the various musical groups of Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. The CD is available free of charge to our Let the Bible Speak listeners. To obtain a copy, you may contact us by email, by telephone, or by regular mail. You may write to Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. You may email us at info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. Or you may simply call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. Ask for your free copy of Our Great Redeemer's Praise. Today on Let the Bible Speak, Dr. Cairns will continue his series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit as he commences a message entitled, The Gifts of the Spirit, a subject which has created much controversy in the Church. As we'll see, there are two extremes in the treatment of spiritual gifts. On the one hand, there are those who deny any spiritual activity. Then there are others who insist that all of the miraculous gifts of the New Testament are available to the church today. Now Dr. Cairns will introduce this message, The Gifts of the Spirit. In the entire area of the Bible's teaching on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, I think that there are few more controversial or less understood subjects than the subject of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When we come to consider this, we find that there are really two great extremes among professing Christians. On the one hand, there are those who virtually exclude the Holy Spirit of God from any real activity today in the Church of Jesus Christ. Now I say virtually exclude Him. 
I don't know any Bible believers, or even indeed any whom we would term apostates, who would uh, dare to say that the Holy Spirit uh, formally has absolutely no place in the church. Even a Unitarian would have a form of words to get around making that admission. But nonetheless, virtually, there are millions, sad to say among them, many Bible believers who do exclude the Holy Spirit and uh, who imagine that the church is more or less a, a great mechanism which the Lord has committed to our hands with our energies and our wisdom. And it's up to us to do the best we can to all intents and purposes. The Holy Spirit is there remotely in the background and he just gives an odd nod of the head or a pat on the back and says, well done, I'm behind you. Then there are others and they go to the very opposite end of the spectrum and they claim that all the gifts that are truly supernatural and miraculous that are set forth in the New Testament are still operating in the church today and that Christians may and should be the recipients of actual, totally miraculous gifts. Now between these two great extremes you can see there is first no common ground. Well, look again. There may be a little common ground. The common ground is I believe that neither of them has the truth. When you look again, I think, second, you'll find that the truth of God in this matter lies somewhere in between. Some time ago we studied the idea of the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, the, today we're dealing with the plural, the gifts, but we looked at the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have looked at the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And if those studies did anything, they showed how disastrous it is to exclude the Holy Ghost from the preeminent role in the activity of the Church of Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, in studying those subjects, we had cause to criticize the modern charismatic claims. So today I want us to look at these gifts and try to understand in simple terms exactly what the Bible is teaching. Now let me sum up all the evidence in the clearest possible way. First of all, as we read 1 Corinthians 12, we must note that the Holy Ghost did give special supernatural gifts to the New Testament church. There is no way that this may be denied without denying the entirety of Christianity. You take the book of the Acts of the Apostles for an example. It is a book that is replete with miracle. In Acts chapter 2, you have the miraculous gift of foreign tongues, that men could stand up and speak the great things of God, and their hearers from many different areas, and countries 
could with amazement say, they are speaking to us in our own languages. Now many have been the explanations of that miracle. The truth of the matter is, there is no explanation. If by explanation we mean some rationalistic way of pushing the miraculous out of existence. This was a pure, indisputable miracle. Then we turn over to Acts chapter 3. We find there was a man above 40 years old who had been maimed and lame from his mother's womb. He had never known what it was to toddle as an infant. He had never known what it was to get strength into the limbs and the joints and the bones. This was a man who had been a cripple since birth. And yet, by the word of the apostles of Jesus Christ, he was instantaneously healed. And uh, unlike many of the claimed miraculous healings that we hear of today, this man's was an instantaneously total healing. I remember seeing a picture from a well-known evangelist's crusade that always happens somewhere in the backside of beyond. This happened somewhere in the middle of the African jungles where a man who was supposedly crippled from birth, whose leg was uh, about the thickness of a broom shaft, uh, was supposedly healed instantaneously by the word of this evangelist. And uh, they had a picture, a very hazy picture, of this man. He wasn't walking, he was certainly standing. Whether propped or not, I couldn't tell. But uh, the one leg was still like a broom shaft. Strange kind of healing. When this man got healed, he was immediately able to stand up and jump up and move around in a way that would make you think that he was an expert in aerobics. He was certainly well healed. Now that was a miracle. There's no way of explaining that away. You go on in the book of Acts, in chapter 5, you will find that uh, there were people there who uh, wanted to shut up the gospel. So, when they put the apostles in prison, the angel of the Lord came, opened the door, and brought them out. In chapter 6, you find two people that were being used by the devil to try and wreck the church, Ananias and Sapphira. They were not ready candidates for death. They thought they were going to live for a long time. And yet, instantaneously, because of the judgment of an apostle of Christ, each of them was smitten dead on the spot. Then in chapter 7, we read that Stephen, in dying, saw the heavens opened. He was not in a trance. It was not a vision. It was a miracle. He saw the heavens opened. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. What a sight that was. The Bible tells me that the Lord Jesus sits at the right hand of God. And yet here he is standing to welcome home the first Christian martyr. You go on in chapter 9, you'll find that Aeneas was healed. Dorcas was raised from the dead. In chapter 12, the church prayed, the doors of the prison 
were thrown open, Peter was brought out. In chapter 13, Elamas the sorcerer was smitten blind at the word of Paul. So you can go on through the book of Acts. There is miracle. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a list of gifts that God gave to the New Testament church. And in their initial and purest sense, they were miraculous gifts. They were gifts that involved the direct working of God by His Spirit upon the human spirit. They were not, uh, as we would understand today and as we would experience today, uh, merely dependent upon the help of the Spirit to expound what is already written as Scripture. No, they had definite, direct inspiration and revelation and mighty acts of divine power. Miracles given to the New Testament church. Now, there have always been those who have wanted to deny that. Rationalists of one kind or another, and I'm not going to waste your time this morning going through the various notions of the rationalist schools, but of one kind or another, the rationalists have tried to deny the miraculous element. For many years it has been the in thing in apostate theological circles to talk about myth, demythologizing the New Testament. Uh, they today have got a little beyond using that ball language, although some still are at it, but they mean the same thing. Every time you read a book, or read of a book, I hope you have more sense than to read them, but read of a book that is setting out to discover the historical Jesus, you have the production of an apostate who is denying the Christ of the New Testament. And what he is trying to do is strip away what he thinks is the mythology of miracle and to leave us with a purely human Christ. But I want to tell you, my friend, that that is utter and total nonsense. It hasn't a shred of evidence to support it in the New Testament. By every law of logic of evidence and of psychology. The witnesses to the miracles in the New Testament stand the test as honest, reliable, dependable witnesses. The denial of miracle is based not upon scientific necessity, but it is based upon the presupposition that miracle is impossible. But that's just atheism. Because when you stop to think of it, if God ever wished to intervene in human affairs directly, rather than merely in a providential way, if God ever wished directly, as it were, to put his finger into human affairs, that would entail miracle. And when a man says miracle is impossible, all he is saying is, I deny Almighty God the right ever to intervene personally and directly in human affairs. Of course, the Bible denies that kind of atheism and every other kind of atheism. 
Christianity is a religion that's based on the supernatural. At the heart of Christianity is Christ. He's the supernatural Christ. He is a man, yes. But he is the God-man. The Shorter Catechism rightly says the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was and continueth to be God and man, in two distinct natures and one person forever. That's a supernatural person. He's the Christ of the supernatural birth. His is the virgin birth. He's the seed of the woman. He is the one uh, who was produced by the miracle of God the Holy Spirit overshadowing the womb of the Virgin Mary so that that holy thing which was born of her was recognized as the Son of God. The virgin birth. He's the Christ of the supernatural life. Every other person who ever walked this scene of time fell into sin. Not the greatest religious leader who ever lived was able to live one day, one hour, without sin. Sin is in the very fabric of the flesh of fallen humanity. But here was the supernatural Christ. According to God, he was perfect. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. According to the very devils, he was perfect. We know thee who thou art, the Holy One of Israel. According to his friends, he was perfect. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. That was their testimony. According to his enemies, he was perfect. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. The supernatural life. I am the supernatural death. The Lord Jesus said, I lay down my life. No man taketh it from me. I have the power to lay it down. And I have the power to take it up again. The Lord Jesus didn't die from nails through his hands or through his feet. The Lord Jesus didn't die because of weakness on the cross, though he was crucified in weakness. The Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross suffered all the devils and men could give him to suffer. He suffered all but even the wrath of a displeased God. For God was displeased with our sin and Jesus became sin for us. He suffered all that the wrath of God could give him. I've often pointed out that through all those harrowing hours of suffering, the Lord Jesus never bowed the head. It was only when he had suffered to perfection, when he had paid the price, that then he bowed the head and he gave up the ghost. Listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. 
We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. If you wish, you may call us at 1-864-244-2408. That's 1-864-244-2408. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. (music) 